Welcome to the Young Professional Next Door, a podcast where I will talk to students and professionals about their journey to success. I'm Sadia and I'm taking my first ever step into the legal job market. I would like to thank you for joining me on this project and this journey. So without further ado, let's talk to the Young Professional Next Door. I'm Shruti. I'm originally from Kerala in India and I have been living and working in Denmark the last eight years in different green technologies. I'm serving as a sourcing sustainability program manager at Christian Hansen, working on the decarbonization work. I also have a small passion project called Green by Habit, where I try to break down sustainability principles on my blog post and Instagram page to hopefully inspire people to embrace green habits in a step-by-step manner. Privately, I live with my husband in Copenhagen. His name is Srinath and I enjoy doing some Bollywood dancing in my free time. Oh, wow. I have no coordination, so I cannot dance at all. (laughs) It's super interesting. I didn't know you were into Bollywood dancing. It creeps in sometimes into my reels and (laughs) posts on Instagram, but I try to keep a low profile on Green Bear Habits. It's a little side side project, a side passion. So yeah, where you are right now is really interesting, but kind of tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to the place where you are today? Yes, so my educational background, I I did my master's in bioprocess engineering in, in Germany, and I was specializing in biofuel. So that's how I started my career, where I got an opportunity at Orsted in Denmark, which was then called Dong Energy, where we had a technology of producing biofuel, specifically bioethanol from agricultural waste. So my role was, it was an R&D and concept development role where, you know, we were developing fermentation processes, etc. for biofuels. But later I, tr- I got the opportunity to transition into a project management role where So one thing is about developing the technologies, right? And the second part is a scale-up. How do we build that into plans, to actual working full-scale plans where we can commercialize these technologies? So I was working on on those projects, especially with some enzyme-based waste treatment where we were looking into how can we produce biogas from waste, municipal solid waste, how can we have better recyclability of plastics, metals, etc.? And then later, I, so we talked about development of technology and development of projects. But then what if we have to scale up these technologies, right? So where we have to, instead of building one plant, we might have to build 10 plants. Then we have to get better at standardizing how we develop the projects, how we design and engineer them and build them. So I got an opportunity to work in the more organizational development role, thanks to my mentors and managers there, where we were looking at how do we standardize and build product lines. So instead of building one plan, we started building product lines so we can kind of replicate the model. So this, I would say, was very interesting for me. And I kind of understood that maybe this is something I'm good at. How can we break down complex activities into simple things and standardization, etc. So that's how I think I started from a role where, you know, it was about wearing lab coats and developing a technology, very hardcore scientific work to project management, engineering, to organizational development and strategic projects. 
And in the last three years, I was working for offshore wind. So th those are wind farms in the out in the ocean or sea where and I was working in the operations on how we are standardizing, how we buy things, how we procure things, etc. And where I am today, I would say it's kind of like a combination of everything I have done so far because it, right now I work for Christian Hansen, which is a bioscience company where we produce good bacteria that helps in more sustainable agriculture, better food, uh, plant and uh, animal and human health. So I can bring my background from bioprocess engineering, but also when we're talking about sustainability and decarbonization work, we need to uh, use biofuels. We are using green power and, and of course, recycling, packaging, etc. So I would say my present role, it's kind of combining all my experiences from my past, but also combining it with my passion for sustainability, which is something I'm passionate also at a personal level and that's the reason I, I do green by habit yeah so long story I know but started somewhere but ended somewhere else now but I, I can clearly see not a red thread a green thread across my career so far yeah I've never heard of someone going through a journey developing loads of skills and then at the end all of these skills and all these experiences merging together into the perfect role, really. That's amazing. That's so ideal. <laughs> and sustainability is something I'm very passionate at a personal level. Mm -hmm. I have this Green by Habit project, so bringing together my professional and personal passions in a good way. Yeah, wow. I mean, that kind of leads on to something I was actually thinking while you were talking. So I know for me, personally, I, I wasn't always into sustainability. I studied law. I'm interested in law. I, I was very interested in environmental law. And when I started working for Climate Talk, I actually started as an author. What I wanted to do was research and find out what the law was doing or what the law wasn't doing to combat the climate crisis and evaluate current policies and current laws. And that was my kind of main goal. But then when I started at Climate Talk, I realized there was so much more to policy making, to legal stuff. There's so much that happens behind the background. And then I got into climate activism. I started Regeneration Climate Europe. And that's kind of where my passion for sustainability started. Before you, where did that passion start? Was it a lifelong passion or... When did it begin? When I was doing my bachelor's at that time, you know, I didn't knew so much about climate or, you know, the, the crisis we have now with but, you know, it was a little bit vague, you know, we know that something is wrong, that this, yeah. you know, global warming has happened, pollution is happening. So at that time, I would say it was a very naive interest I had at that time. Let's do something good for the planet, right, without knowing all the details. <laughs> and from what I was working with, I was working with biotechnology and bioprocesses. One of the f the first things I could do or channel this interest was biofuels. I would say biofuels was something which really interested. That that was my starting point of my love towards green technologies. I would say because it was about you know can we actually find an alternative to the fossil fuels, and if it has a bio uh, 
a natural source and a, a renewable source. So that was kind of like the starting point, which was it. And, you know, once you get interested in one of one green technology, or as you mentioned, right, we start somewhere and maybe we end up somewhere else because it's such a broad field. It has kind of ripple effect and you keep learning and, you know, maybe you find something else more interesting and all of these technologies they are so interlinked sustainability is such a broad thing it's not only about the climate it's about people it's about governance Mm -hmm. law right so there's so much to do here yeah no definitely so your passion kind of nurtured itself onto instagram and onto social media and you got a pretty large audience on being by habit how did that kind of come about so sustainability was something you know i was working with every day at work and everything we do at work is that it's about changes at the macro level how do we have better fuels how do we have better technology that can reduce emission macro level and when we're talking about macro it's like tons of thousands and tons of co2 we're talking about but then i could find a void in my personal life that and then it kind of trickled down into my life saying, okay, how can I be more conscious in the things I do in my everyday? And that was kind of like the trigger for Green by Habit because sometimes I we talk a lot about sustainability, the, the challenges we have at work, but in my close circles, we, I could not hear this being discussed, even though, you know, we have a big challenge in front of us. So that was kind of like my trigger to start Green by Habit to say, okay, if I'm on a learning journey myself to embrace green habits, maybe it's more effective to take some more people along with me, right? So that was kind of like the trigger for Green by Habit. And as the name says, it's Green by Habit, where my focus is on how can we actually embrace green habits? Because choices can be hard, but when something is a habit, you don't have to think about it so much wired into your brain. So it's all about building small habits and in conversations for me and also about creating like a a non-judgmental community. That's what really aim for where we can actually help each other. I'm also learning from, you know, all my community members when they are doing something. So it's just, it's not just give, it's a give and take green by habit for me. No, that's great. And I really love the kind of judgment-free zone. I think that's so important, especially in the environmental field where you're going to make mistakes, you're going to learn, you're going to try and be the most environmentally conscious person you can. In terms of growth, how did you see Green by Habit grow in terms of your followers, in terms of the community? So I started Green by Habit a, a year ago, and it's a very organic growth, I would say. So I, But I'm really, I'm so grateful for everybody on the community because, you know, I've not had any viral content or anything so far. So it's everybody who is on there is, you know, those who have a genuine passion towards this or they might have at some level connected with what I have to tell. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the community I have and it's been completely organic. We are... I would say around thousand, less than thousand members in the community now. I think it's the people, it's not the numbers that matter to me. And I'm not really obsessed with that. It's more about, you know, having people who are actually engaged on the post, who can also give me feedback to grow and also who are receptive to what I have to say on the page. Oh, definitely. It's quality over quantity. I think that's great. Yeah. Definitely. What I've noticed about the environmental field 
from kind of my experiences, I realized there's a lot of guilt. So for example, when you say, I want to be plastic free, then you go and, I don't know, buy a bottle of Coca-Cola or something, which is in a plastic bottle. There's a lot of guilt all the time. And what I came to realize is this. I don't think we can ever be 100% plastic free. I think we can try and make more conscious decisions and try to be as closely possible to that. But I don't think, especially how we're living now, especially in the UK or in Western countries, I think that goal and that kind of perception is a little bit unrealistic. What is your opinion on being plastic free? Yeah, I think I, I try to look at it from a like a helicopter view of what plastic does to the environment, right? Because plastic, of course, it's made, it has certain applications which is difficult to replace, like let's say moisture bar- barrier. It's lightweight, so if you have to like transfer medic for medications or for humanitarian aid, trans- there are a lot of stuff. It's really difficult to replace plastic as, but that there are a lot of places we can actually replace plastic and it's not happening mm-hmm. and so it's not plastic itself which is the real problem it's the overuse of plastics as i see because if you're looking at plastics and if i'm following the life cycle of plastics right there are a lot of it it, it has problems at different stages mm-hmm. so where does plastics come from it's basically a byproduct of petroleum industry so the more we use plastic we're actually supporting fossil fuel industry who are the main drivers of global warming and the climate change crisis we have now and and also they also have an incentive the fossil fuel industry to push plastic production and then that's about the production mm-hmm. and then when we are using it a lot of the plastic the the biggest issue is that it releases microplastics into the atmosphere which you know you might must have read the news microplastic is now even found in like human placenta and in our bloodstreams so it's everywhere you know the salt we eat everywhere so that's another issue and then the biggest uh, part of the issue is at the end of its use when it's not recycled it just ends up in the landfill or in our oceans it just stays there like a toothbrush made of plastic it takes like 500 years to uh, uh, decompose and I'm not we're not even sure if it will actually decompose after 500 years right so there's so many issues at all the stages of plastic production usage and end so for me it's really to look into what can be avoided mm-hmm. and it's and it's a combination right it should be at system level like the ban of single-use plastics which yeah. is you know we have it in many countries now and uh, you know companies are taking producer responsibility that you know if i am producing plastic i'll also take take it back and make sure that it's not ending up in landfill i will recycle it or melt it or use, use it somehow and as a consumer i think we still have some power in many cases right where we can say okay i, I don't want i will say no to a plastic straw for example yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So, uh, so I think it's a combination, and I think the power, the the biggest power, lies with corporates and governance, governments to make a change. And I believe what we can do as individuals is to create a demand. So the more, more and more of us ask for better alternatives. Mm-hmm. Like I can re- remember when, like six years back, when I or eight years back when I first came to Denmark, it was really hard to find sustainable, like a bamboo toothbrush, for example. There was like maybe one web show that sells it. Now I can find it in all supermarkets. And why why is that? It's because we as consumers created a demand and there, of course, awareness around it, right? So I I say that 
where plastic can be avoided, let's try to avoid it. That's my take it. My, and where you can't completely say no to, let's try to reduce it. That's yeah. my take. Well, I think that approach is a little bit inspiring, really, because it shows how kind of the little people can make a difference. Because I think quite often with the climate crisis, people do feel a little bit powerless when you have all these big corporations creating so many greenhouse gases and doing so much, it does feel a little bit overwhelming. So I think that is like a really great approach to have to kind of just the whole situation, really. Yeah. So your job, how do you enjoy your job? How are you finding it? I'm really, I think we are in a very exciting phase of, so this whole field, you know, about uh, scope three emissions. So scope three is basically, so when you're looking at a company, we have, a total greenhouse gas emissions, right? And then we talk about scope one emissions. So that's what a company generates itself. Then there's scope two emissions, which comes from the purchase electricity. But scope three is all the emissions that come from our value chain, from our supplier. So, and this, I would say not many companies are at a very mature level. So it's a very exciting phase for me to be part of this journey, to really shape this for, with working together with all my colleagues. So I'm right now, as as I mentioned, it's not. It's been only three months. I started on this position, so we are still in a program definition and really laying the foundation of what we have to work going forward. So it's super interesting, and I, and I think it's also because the topic is risk, right, sustainability. There's a lot of interest in my colleagues, and in yeah. uh, so everybody's super charged, if I can put it up like that, and that that really helps. Yeah. And how did you find kind of moving into that job? Did you find it challenging? Did you find it super welcoming? What was it like? I I would I should to be honest, this specific role was very welcoming because even before I joined, I started on the job. I got so many messages from some of my colleagues welcoming me on LinkedIn, and because for Kristen Hansen too. We take sustainability very seriously. And this part, the scope three, accounts for more than 80% of our emissions. So I think everybody is supercharged to get start working on it. And we do have a science-based target set. So it's all about making those targets into action. So that is my task on how do we shape this so we can do some specific work on specific work streams in this project to make sustainability tangible because when you talk about sustainability it's also sometimes very fluffy right what is sustainability sustainability is anything we can do today to be more mindful for our future generations but when we talk about in the corporate terms we need to be able to report it we need to be able to measure it how do we do that so i think it's super exciting the place we are trying to shape this and hopefully also inspire smaller companies and you know set some good examples on how we can reduce emissions by working together no the role sounds super interesting and i think it's so important to be part well work somewhere where people are welcoming and where you do have a positive work culture because i think when you feel comfortable that's when you can really grow develop and flourish and make a change I think yeah, I'm so lucky in that way and so grateful for that because I think it's very important that, you know, where your values also resonate with your colleagues and especially yeah, the company's absolutely. value. If you can't have that connect, it could be challenging. Yeah. yeah, I think a disconnect in value systems 
can be frustrating too because you want to make a change, but then you go into work and you're being a bit of a hypocrite and then that kind of plays in your mind. I remember when I worked in retail, I worked in retail for three years and I remember I used to go to work and I used to be folding clothes and putting them in plastic bags and I used to hate every minute of it and I was like, I'm a hypocrite. I'm like head of operations at this climate organization. I'm giving speeches about COP and like, look, look what I'm doing. So oh, that could that could be really challenging. I can, uh, I, I, I'm I'm really sorry you had to be there. Yeah. Oh no, it's okay. I mean, I'm out now. So um, yeah. it was your <laughs> But yeah, so green period is something which you've talked about a little bit. Now I come from a Southern Asian background, and periods in itself is a taboo topic, let alone green periods. So yeah. kind of how. Did you even, I mean, green period is fairly new, a new concept to yeah. me. I'm not going to lie, personally. So as a woman, how did you kind of come across green period? What kind of has been your experience? Yeah, I think, Sadia, you hit the nail, right? Because there's a lot of taboo about mm-hmm. this topic. So if you don't even talk about the topic, how do you talk about the sustainable, the environmental <laughs> aspects of that topic? So for me, when I started embracing green habits, I'm st- I still say I'm on a journey, right? But I would say maybe around five years back, that's when I started exploring. I also started understanding the negative effects on the environment of, uh, you know, the sanitary pads and tampons. So if, for example, if we just look at the traditional menstrual products like Pads, for example, in a woman's life, an average I'm taking, we use it around, we are kind of like bleeding for six years. <laughs> if you're just, wow. uh, we are using more than 6,000 products, Yeah, single use yeah. products. And these pads, you know, the, a pad could be made of like almost 90% plastic. Mm-hmm. So almost like four plastic bag worth of stuff could go into it. And what happens to it, it's just like the toothbrush we talked about. It could just, it can just stay in the landfill. Uh, and, and even if it's burned, it's creating toxic, because toxic fumes, because it's no longer made with just cotton, right? They have some gels going into it, so many other stuff. And you can also imagine the health. So it has a huge environmental impact, but also it, it's not good, good in terms of health and we all, all know, uh, all menstruating people understand the discomfort by using these products. So that's how I came across the sustainable period products where it's not only, a, a, you know, the, it, it, it does save money for any anybody instead of buying single-use period products for their whole life, like a sustainable period product, like a cup can last up to 10 years. Can you imagine one cup compared to how many are we using? Yeah in 10 years, right? So so in Green by Habit, I, I try to use my Green by Habit platform to share about my experience and the different options about it. So what I have done is I've made some posts about it, but I've also done a workshop with some women and in Copenhagen, that's the city I live, on the, on the different options. And I do it in small groups so that we have like an open dialogue and discussions about it because this is whatever we say, this is still a taboo topic. So there is a limit on how people are opening up, especially when you are coming from cultures where, you know, this is never spoken about, yeah. right? We, and p- p- women don't even 
know their own bodies well enough. So that's why I try to break it down. And and to anybody listening, I just want to say, you know, there are, if you if one doesn't work for you, there are so many options. So there are menstrual cups, there are menstrual discs, there are uh, period underwear pads. So there are things that can you can put inside, keep outside. And I will guarantee you they are so much more comfortable than the traditional ones because we are not talking about plastic here. So if you have any questions, you, you are free. You, you can ping me on Green by Habit. I, mean, I would be very glad to help any, anyone struggling to make the switch. That's amazing. Do you think kind of more greener period products say sanitary towels, reusable underwear and things like that, do you think that will become more mainstream and become more readily available? Uh, definitely. I think if... if not from an environmental perspective. I, I know that a lot of women are switching to these products purely from a cost perspective. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, let's say families with like, uh, let's say three women, you, you know, uh, it's a lot of money with, for all these products. So, uh, but and generally, I would suggest in the last five years, there's so many products out in the market. There are menstrual cups of different shapes, sizes, capacity capacity, different firmness. There's so many also options in there. And I would say menstrual cups, they have been there for a long time, but now, you know, menstrual discs and a lot of other products are also coming into the market. So definitely, I'm I'm pretty sure this is going to be a mainstream very soon. Yeah. And I think something that's really important to emphasize is it's not one size fit all, fits all. So even with mainstream period products, some people don't like using tampons. Some people like larger pads. Some people like smaller pads. And I'm sure it's the same with kind of more sustainable products. If one thing doesn't work, I, there's probably so many, so many things that you probably haven't even researched or looked into. I'm sure there's a vast array of kind of options out there. Yeah, exactly. And it's again, coming back to the non-judgmental part, right? Everybody's journey is different. You come from, a, you might have a different body, health condition, economic background. Uh, don't punish yourself. Maybe when you're, even if you started using a cup, you might need a, a traditional product as a back, backup. It's fine. Take your time, uh, explore. And then at a point, it will become a green habit and then you never go back. That's how I see it. Yep, no, definitely. I think it's always about trying to make more sustainable choices in everything you do, really. And I think, why not try it out, really? It's got benefits all over, even if you don't care about sustainability, which everyone should. But even if you don't think about the money you're saving or think about the other benefits. Yeah. In terms of sustainable packaging, what does this mean to you? Because I've seen so many companies which say their packaging is sustainable. And I don't really know if I believe them. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I can completely relate to you because some of the companies, they think just putting a green label, green color in the packet or, yeah. you know, just mentioning green it makes something sustainable. It's, it's pure case of greenwashing, right? To me, sustainable packaging, it's really about mindful packaging. Mm-hmm. If I should summarize in a way, it's, it's, it's really looking at, you know, what is needed because packaging, of course, has a specific purpose, right? It is to protect a product but during transportation, etc. I talk about this five R's framework in Green mm-hmm. by Habit. It's 
as a place where anybody starting to looking at, at green habits it, it's a it's a good guidance to start with so it starts like there's the five hours where the first one is saying refuse mm-hmm. so refuse is can we say no to packaging when it's not needed you might have seen pictures of you know banana wrapped in plastic wrap where banana already has its wonderful natural packaging why do we need a plastic wrap on top of it so that's about refusing it but of course there are many things we need to package it mm-hmm. to sell it to transport it everybody doesn't have the luxury to go to a farmer's market and buy a thing or buy directly from a producer's home right so then it's about looking at can you reduce the packaging maybe you don't need that three layers you just need one layer you don't need that extra polystyrene filling in that amazon package you get it's fine so that's the second hour reduce and then if packet still ends up at our house the third r is reuse looking at if we have a packaging can we not make it single use can we keep using it again and again like you know if you have a pasta sauce in a jar can you use it in your pantry it could get creative with it right the the it's endless and then of course if the recycling if 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 you can't refuse reduce or reuse recycling is the solution we have of course recycling is not perfect it has its limitation there are things that can be recycled and not recycled etc so if producers make it a point that the packaging is actually recyclable and it's easily recyclable it's not like you need to find a very specific recycler <laughs> in the other end of the country or you have to ship it out something which which can be locally recycled so it's all about you being mindful and saying do we can do we need a package if we need can we reduce the package can we reuse the package or recycle the package but i want to also make it clear that you know making a packaging sustainable doesn't mean that the product is sustainable packaging is just only an aspect of it it is i think it's equally important to ask questions like what is it made of and uh, how is it made etc and packaging is an element to look at look in that question yeah it's definitely i think looking beneath yeah. this is so important especially with companies having corporate social responsibilities and trying to make themselves look better in the grand scheme of things so i think it's so important to be mindful and what I really like when you describe things or talk about concepts is how, again, not one science fits all, how the five R's that one of them should work and, and if one of them works for one person, another one might work for someone else. It's not, it's not kind of generalized. And what I've noticed about the green community is quite often there's a right way and a wrong way. And I think it's so important to kind of move away from that mindset and realize that just because you're not doing it this way you are still doing something right because you want to make a difference and it's you might not make a difference immediately and you might have to learn etc but that's you're still trying and that's all that matters at the end of the day yes and that's as i started right for green by habit i i really really hope this is a non-judgmental community because and i want to take as many as possible in this journey it's not about being perfect it's about doing our bit and and making conscious choices as i see it and i think that's a beauty with the five r's because you know that refusing is the best but if you can't refuse you can reduce right it, it there is the hierarchy and when you're cho- choosing to refuse or reduce you know which has a bigger impact and then it's up to you according to your situations do it 
look at the op- 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 what are the options around and make an informed decision, which is good for you and the planet. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. So you travel to quite a few countries. I'm actually terrified of traveling. I'm terrified of planes. <laughs> so I, I don't travel. Well, maybe one day I will conquer my fear but not for the foreseeable future. <laughs> what have you found in terms of your attitude to sustainability in different countries? Because I think typically people would think Western countries are more, I don't want to say more woke, but typically the media kind of portrays Western countries as doing more, but I don't necessarily think that's true. I think Western countries are actually probably creating more greenhouse gases and doing more to harm the environment rather than help. But what have you noticed, seen, experienced? I come from India and I look into my, like all the Indian practices. We are so good at, you know, living in harmony with nature, like nature is worshipped and you are reusing everything. You're growing things at your home, you're sharing things. So it's, you know, even if it's like a party in, let's say, in my community, when we have lunch or a feast, we have it on banana leaves too. Oh, wow. So there is a lot of things which is just so natural. It's not because, you know, we are woke. It's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's more the influence of the com- com- consumerism and after globalization, when more Tupperware started coming, we always had steel stuff at my home. You know, we had steel containers. Now it's the most hippie thing here in the West, right? To have all these steel food containers. But it was just stainless steel was just just the norm uh, back home. And I remember... For the first time, we Tupperwares were introduced. My mom was going really crazy about Tupperwares because it was something new. But now, so I think it is like externally influenced our how our habits change. But I think now uh, there's a huge uh, Indian community uh, of sustainability content creators whom I really admire. I follow who are trying to bring back our old ways of living. You know where we are saying no to plastic bottles, containers, go back to our steel plate, go back to our, so if we have a party instead of having balloon decorations, why not use uh, flowers or, you know, you, you know, saris, the, the Indian saris could be used as decoration that could be just reused because just imagine after a party, how much balloon waste and plastic waste we have these days. I think it's all about going back to the root. And I, I think coming back to your question, I, I really think, uh, yeah, there's so much to learn from the traditional like cultures from Asia, uh, like countries like India to learn and embrace here. Absolutely. I think Western media has kind of portrayed, I don't know, has kind of portrayed certain countries as doing. But so, for, for example, COP, right? COP is portrayed as this massive, I don't know, this massive, conference which does so so much for the environment environment and all these world leaders come together but when you think about it what does COP actually achieve now I know there are some achievements like there was that agreement I'm not trying to minimize any of the achievements even but at the same time I just think the countries we think are very very forward thinking are often doing the worst for the environment and I think yeah, quite often the media kind of plays with our head and makes us think it's actually the other way around, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think it is. It's actually a complex topic, right? Because mm-hmm. when we're talking about carbon emissions, the majority of the carbon emission uh, or carb- the what you call human-made carbon uh, yeah. or greenhouse gas in the atmosphere, a lot of it is, is from, uh, you know, when we look from the pre-industrial era to what we have today, the major share has come from the developed countries, so-called developed countries or Western countries, as we call it, because they had the first big industrial revolution yeah, and absolutely. all the industry. So, um, whereas a lot of developing countries, they are still, they're not there yet. And to secure secure livelihood and the, the, the economic development, there's so much more for some of the developing countries to do. So, I think what is important is that, but we still, looking at today's world, we still have the same carbon budget. Right, mm-hmm. we are still have a ticking clock. We have to yeah. achieve net zero by 2050. So I think it's really about you know ca- the the come come the countries having the economic capability supporting the developing countries because you know guys you actually are responsible for the you know the tra- <laughs> the the challenge we are in today. But it's you. So, so how can the these con- com- countries support the com- the countries who actually need that economic support yeah. to switch to greener technologies to accelerate their decarbonization work, etc. So, it is it's not black and white, right? Because yeah, it's there is and and now I, I, unfortunately now we can't do any blame games now because we, at the end of the day. Who is good? And when we talk about climate change and all the issues and challenges, we are going to have the, the countries which will be mostly affected will be the global south and the countries who are already what we call what some some people define as underdeveloped or developing, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, they will be hit first. So there is no more space for blame. We really every every country has to work together and the countries who have the technology who have the economic capability has to support the countries who need that support so we can all yeah fight together this crisis we have definitely and i think when you look at things like the water crisis and the countries that's affecting it's really sad to see because quite often then people are still kind of living more simply, really, and not embracing the land and agriculture and things like that. So it's pretty sad to see kind of the effect humans' actions have on other humans. It's like they're our own worst enemies in a sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually read some articles. I forgot the exact numbers. So please excuse me if I'm quoting it wrong. So if you're looking at how much your like carbon footprint between someone living in India and someone living now I'm living in Denmark right so our western Europe like we the carbon budget I can if I was living in India I could use 10 times more compared to oh, wow. uh, I mean living in here because of all the factors and how the different countries are producing greenhouse gases wow that's so interesting I didn't think kind of numerically that would be the number Wow. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about your journey. We talked about where you are right now. But what I'm interested in is what's next? What are your goals for the future? I think, as I mentioned earlier, I said, yeah, I think now we are, I'm at a very excited, in my professional work, it's, it's a very exciting place we are at because this is something, this is not a 
destination we have reached. You know, this is the journey and we are really at a play, place where, you know, we have to do something now, today and tomorrow. It's, we're not talking about things that we wait and do after five years to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, right? So I, I, what is next for me is I, I would really like to be a, a, a driver, yeah. continue to be a driver in this journey where these targets could be made, made tangible and specific actions can be made. And I really hope to be a leader within sustainability where I can take more people along with me professionally in the green in, when you're talking about both e all the elements of sustainability right environment social governance but parallelly i i really would love uh, love to also uh, nourish my fashion project green by habit welcome more people into the community and try to break down sustainability principles into simple terms where any you know, people who don't normally talk about this and normally talk about sustainability can also start getting into the world and see what they can implement in their life. So I, yeah, so professionally, def, def, definitely working in the sustainability area and also personally working with the local communities. And I hope to do more than one-to-one events, uh, okay. more offline events, if I can call them online, to work with the local community. Wow, that sounds so interesting. I'm sure I'm sure you will be a leader and I'm sure you'll create so much change. I can see it. I feel so inspired just talking to you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so I see it. It's going to become a reality. But the last question I have for you, and this is something which I am asking all my guests, is what advice do you have for an upcoming young professional next door? I would really say, you know, find what is it that really drives you? Because when you talk about profession or work, it's something you do. It's a part of your life, your profession and personal life is so interlinked. And I think really find what is it that motivates you? Because something I've learned, you know, interacting with so many people, and I've also had a chance to be part of some talent development program in my previous company, Orstitutes, is really looking before looking out, really look into yourself and see what is that that thing that you can bring to the table. Because there'll be a lot of people talk, asking you to work on your weaknesses, fix that, fix this. But never forget your what is your strength, because that is really your guiding stars and that is what uh, differentiates you. And then and in a very personal level, I would also say use that strength and see if there's any way you can work in the sustainability field. And when I talk about that, you know, I'm not talking about you have here or a sustainability specialist. You are a, so you. Look at any job profiles, right? You could be an accountant, you can be a business person, you can be a communication expert or social media specialist. You can still work for a company that makes a difference or, or, a, or a purpose that makes a difference that helps us in this um, climate, climate change crisis we have. So I, wouldn't it be wonderful if all the you know, bright minds just decide to you know make difference and say i'm just going to work with sustainable companies or companies making an impact how wonderful that would be thank you for listening tune in next time to hear from another young professional next door if you would like to hear who the next young professional for the doll will be make sure you subscribe and follow us on our social media platforms